Welcome back to the True Geordie podcast. Uh, I am Brian, and today's guest is one of my favourite fighters of all time. Not just for the in-ring performances, but for the mic skills, for the entertainment, for everything he brought to it. Surely he's got to be in the Hall of Fame. It's Chael Sonnen. Thanks for coming on, mate. Brian, what is happening, man? I've been counting down the days. I'm pumped to be here with you. Mate, um, honestly, this is a a surreal moment. I uh, remember getting the pizzas and beers in with all my boys watching you fight and beat the living hell out of Anderson Silva. And little did I know that one day I'd get to have a talk with you, man. It is such an honor. And, and, you know, I mentioned the Hall of Fame there. Uh, We've seen... um, you know, Cowboy Cerrone get his uh, little moment the other day, and it was a lovely moment. But how on earth are you not in the Hall of Fame? Surely, you. Know, I got. I got to tell you, that, and that is something that I want. Like guys, kind of play coy with that. Oh, whatever happens, and I don't really care. I, I do care. Like I think that's a great honor. You know, when somebody picks that, and your career's done, and somebody else. One of your peers, a group of your peers, look back and they bestow that. I think that is awesome. Cowboy went in, and you know. The Cowboy story is very misleading unless you followed it because he changed weight classes so much. Like some people will look at his record. It's like, well, you got to understand those were in different weight classes. Those were on a five days notice. Those were without training camp. Some of those were main events, five round fight. He won a whole bunch of fights like I just described. But yes, it goes both ways. I thought it was pretty cool. Uh, that he got recognized. You know, he's off doing movie work now. A cowboy, I've seen three different movies during uh, COVID that's got Cowboy in them. Yeah, I love the fact that he said, yeah, um, I got on steroids. I feel great. Uh, like, he just, he was so honest about it. And with everything you've done for the sport, and when I look back at your career before this interview and seeing, you know, the pay-per-view numbers you and Anderson did, and, and I think you're one of the, the, the real single-handed people who are instrumental in making this from just a pure, gritty, horrible sport in many people's eyes to entertainment. You brought the W. WWE there and yet I remember seeing some of your first press conferences you were quite quiet and you weren't that guy so everyone talks about the Colby Covington switch that flipped and I know you were released by the UFC once upon a time as well was there a moment where you realized like I gotta turn this up here yes I mean I remember where I was I was driving an old pickup truck that I had I was headed down 205 I was headed to the Beaverton exit I mean I remember this and I was doing an interview with Ariel and as big as Errol is now, it, it, it was a little uh, different back then. Not everything uh, was face-to-face or in that beautiful studio. He was still, you know, picking up the phone and dictating some stuff. But I was getting ready to take on Yushin Okami. And I was ranked number nine in the world. And Okami was ranked number two. Okami was the last guy to beat Anderson Silva. It was by disqualification, but he, he had a win over Anderson. And mm-hmm. um, we're getting ready to fight out in the Forum in L.A. And we are not on the main card. We were the only match that had two top 10 guys against each other that was not on the main card. And I blamed it all on Yushin. You know, he was being so, too nice and he was being so polite. And this was about honor and respect and, and bow. And I, I just cut a heel promo on him, but I, I meant it all. I, it was very authentic. So, man, I, I got to go and fight on undercards in front of these guys. The number two guy in the world, the hardest fight that I've ever had. And nobody's going to see it. What is the point of doing all of this? And it's all because of him. Nobody wants to tune in. Nobody wants to see him. I've been on the main card. I draw this guy, and now I'm I'm pulled off. And you sure went on to be one of my my very good friends. But it was just one of these heel uh, promos. And Brian, I had a hard time doing that. By the way, I, I appreciate you you recognizing that I, I I was kind of responsible for the entertainment era because it's something it was a contribution that I made. But um, I had a really hard time i had one commissioner who wasn't going to license me and he even said that i was a bad example for kids i had never used profanity i I still to this day uh, sports illustrated named me the the greatest shit talker in sport but i've never actually said the word spelling it for you right now is this close you know i was very in a box and um i just thought that was inappropriate and this guy was falling for it and he wasn't going to license me because of what a bad sport i was I, i didn't have honor and respect and and i was nothing for kids to look up to and he didn't license me by the way he got his way. That was in Nevada. They were going to have me do the ultimate fighter opposite Michael Bisping. I did not get my license and I did not do the ultimate fighter. He, he made me sit in timeout all because of interviews that I had done. When I was in college wrestling, if I could just tell you one more, when I was in college wrestling, this is before the internet was a thing, but we had our local paper down in Eugene. I was doing interviews like this. I was calling on other teams and I was talking this up and I was trying to hype a match. They killed the spot and the coach told the interviewer, 
No more interviews with Chael. They cut me off from media. So they just didn't understand it. And I was trying to go, go, guys, just run it. Just one or two of these things. It's going to work. This is going to be helpful. But they didn't see it. It's okay to get in a cage, mano on mano, and beat the living hell out of each other. But it's not okay to say some bad words. Um, and the fact that you didn't actually sway, which is something that you're so good at putting someone down that you must have a hell of a vocabulary because that is often missed on people. Why was the reason you didn't sway? Because it is, it's very helpful sometimes if you're wanting to say something. For sure. Well, and so, and so I wanted to be the bad guy, but I wanted that to be a little bit confusing. Like I wanted people to like me while I was being uh, the heel. And that's a really hard thing to do. Like, I mean, uh, I, I don't mean to compare myself to The Rock, but that would be an example of a cool heel. It's yeah. extremely hard to do. So I just thought, okay, I'm going to go after these guys. I'm going to break all of these rules. I'm going to tear down all, all, all of these barriers that we got, but I'm not going to swear. And as long as I don't do that, there'll still be guys that are are worse than me. I, I wanted a, <laughs> a, a bad guy a persona, but I, I didn't want to actually have character problems or, or be yeah. perceived like that. So it wasn't an overly uh, thought out, but but that was uh, the reasoning at the time. For me, when I'm watching the UFC uh, in this era, and I don't know why this is happening, but it feels like it is regressing a little bit and more into a sport and less entertainment. Obviously, McGregor hasn't fought anywhere near as much. He was another person who brought that sort of razzmatazz to it. And it feels like we're actually looking at less stars than I've seen in a long time in the UFC, although that might just be me. But I'm interested to get your take on it. Of Do you think there's a reason for that? And do you find yourself being frustrated watching these modern day stars not grab the spotlight the way you did oh it drives it drives me crazy and i love the observation that you just made i mean 2022 from a business standpoint we've never had a year like that i mean 2022 dana white would be kicked out of the office by 2007 dana white i mean it was a very different approach and yeah. i do see what you're saying and, and we weren't really building the stars and we weren't getting behind them and promoting the fights in the same way and then you go and look at the gates and we're doing you know 4.1 million for what was supposed to be uh prohaska versus uh, uh uh glover part two they ended up changing that in the last second uncle liam gets thrown they still did a 4.1 million i mean some of these gates are just remarkable. They're selling out absolutely everywhere they go. I, I Something like the about brand company- UFC, though. Sorry to interrupt you. They, they yeah. can now get a little lazy, and I don't know if lazy is the right word, but they can rely on the brand more than the personalities. But I feel like yeah. with the brand being bigger than ever, it would only supercharge it if some of these guys, like if we look at what Paddy Pimlet was able to do with very little, um, it wasn't like Paddy was like the most amazing performer in the octagon that we've seen, but just the, 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 the personality that he had, he immediately became the most talked about thing in the UFC because there's no one else to compete with right now for me in terms of him talking. I, I fully agree with you. Like, yeah. A lot of times somebody will suck all the air out of the room. Like if you get a press conference and Connor's on the stage, you're not going to get very many questions. And what you do do, is it's going to get missed. You know, Connor, Connor really is going to come in there and command it. And I see it the way you see it. I think that those are opportunities. I think that when you have that microphone, you've, you've got to really use it. I think everything's a competition. If you're at a press conference and you get asked two questions and somebody else gets asked 12 questions, mm. I've been in that spot before. And I've grabbed my phone and I've text people that are in the audience. Please ask me, you're asking me this, ask me this. Ask. I mean, all of that stuff is, is things that people pay attention to. It's what gets broken off. It's what the you and I's come and talk about. It, it's what really helps to parlay and move it. And, and I do agree with you. It wasn't as star driven in this last year. The brand was getting over, not the athletes, not the matches. Yeah. It looks like that right now as well. I'm, I'm not really seeing a change, and I'd like one. I like the entertainment. Yeah. I think when Dana White is sat there getting frustrated by the, all of these questions about Jake Paul, that really should be a wake-up call to him of, why are they not asking me questions about my fighters, you know? And I think that's because Jake Paul has a similar idea that you had, you know? Let, let me just talk the talk and try and walk the walk as best as I can to back it up. Was there ever a point when you were when you were going off on one of these speeches and selling what you were going to do to another fighter where you sort of put the mic down and walked backstage and then thought, Jesus Christ, I've actually got to go and try and do this to this, create, this uh, creature right now? you know yes yes yeah, some of them uh yeah some of those guys got 
pretty upset. They didn't really understand it. One of the first guys that I ever broke this out on was a guy named Paulo Filo. Mm. And I was uh, relatively undiscovered. Like I name dropped for you a while ago that I, I got to a number nine ranking. I was ranked nothing at the time of this. I wasn't even the organization. They brought me in to go get beat up by Paulo, who was 16-0, undefeated, but he was ranked number one. Anderson was ranked number two. Paulo was ranked number one. And they were workout partners. And the words coming out of the camp is that that ranking was right. Paulo was the best guy. So was I was I was building that fight and getting ready to fight him. I had just gotten signed. I had no, you know, no backstory other than I was a pretty good regional fighter. So I came at him pretty hard. And my my big line was that I I have a picture of him that I put in my shoe so that every time I take a step, I'm walking right on his face. That was it. But but at that time, that was like the worst. That was the dirtiest thing that had ever been said. And I saw Paulo Filo's eyes after they played that form, and he looked sad. It looked like that hurt his feelings. I felt terrible. I thought it was gonna work him up, and he's gonna come. He's gonna, he's gonna rip his shirt off, and we're gonna get this back and forth. He looked like I really hurt his feelings. I didn't say another <laughs> bad thing about the guy. It bothered me that 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 happened. You eventually beat that guy uh, who was the WEC champion. Unfortunately, yes. he missed weight and uh, you didn't get the belt that you deserved, but you were world champion, but you you weren't crowned champion. What was that experience like? That's so strange. Yeah, and thanks for saying that. I mean, that that was a hard one. That was a hard one for me. I, I know people say, well, I get, it's got to be this championship. Or, not for me, it doesn't. I don't care yeah. what word you put in there. I don't care if you put interim in front of it. I, whatever word you want to do, if it says world champion, I have achieved a life goal. Yeah. So, you know, it was a big deal and it was a rematch. Uh, you know, it's hard to get to him the first time, building your way back, getting to him a second time. And um, they had never had this happen. This was in uh, this was in Florida. And Mark Ratner himself told me, who was in charge of the rules, he said, Chael, we never envisioned that a champion would miss weight. We've had challengers do it, but we don't have any mechanism within the rules. We, we didn't know. And he said, moving forward, if the title holder is the one that misses weight, the title is still on the line. And that's what the sport's done. That's what they have done uh, ever since. But for that night, it defaults down. Rules are the same, matches the same, but it defaults down to a non-title match. He mailed me that belt. So I have the, I have the physical belt, which I thought was a very nice gesture but yeah to your point i i wasn't champion i don't i don't get to claim that i was which hurt man that was a real opportunity i, I wouldn't like to have that moniker you've got to you've got to give yourself that you've got a you've got the belt you beat the champion I mean, what more does anyone have to do? You know, it's not your fault. No, I, I hear you on that. I wish that they'd go back and rectify it. I, I, I would take it, right? I yeah. mean, and nobody would know but me, but it would still mean something to me. Can I ask you something totally off off topic? What is going on? What is the vibe around you as it pertains to Jeremiah versus Joshua? Is that a fight that people are really wanting to see? Is this mega business? Oh, God. I mean, that's a good question, mate. Uh, you know what? The reality is, this is the quietest fight week that Anthony Joshua might have had in okay. in as long as I can remember. The so he has gone from selling out the biggest stadiums in the UK to now he's slowly selling tickets for a small uh, arena. Now that um, just to give you some perspective on it, KSI, the YouTube fighter, sold out this arena twice much faster than what Anthony Joshua is currently selling tickets at. Now, obviously, those tickets aren't cheap, and but the, the fact is, is the reputation of Anthony Joshua, as much as I think he was a great champion and took on all comers, it has been damaged. When you look at his last five fights, he has lost uh, three, and out of the two he won, one was a decision against Andy Ruiz where he popped the jab and a lot of people felt like he ran away. He didn't go out and bury this guy as he was supposed to. And then the other one was against Pulev, which uh, he was supposed to knock him out. So there's been a complete lack of these devastating Mike Tyson type knockouts that he was basically known for on the come up. And it's, it's do or die now for Anthony Joshua's like, and like legacy in terms of if he wants those huge fights, he needs to go out and put a beating on this guy. And it's a pretty hard fight to, to be expected to do that. So he's in a, he's caught between a rock and a hard place right now. I'm sensing that. I mean, I'm feeling that over here. I wasn't overly familiar with Jeremiah. I wasn't overly familiar with Ruiz. I mean, there's ways to build matches, but mm -hmm. it just seemed like, you know, you got Wilder, uh, you're hearing even the, the, the rumors of Francis Ngannou. I thought maybe something interesting was going to happen. And uh, I was a little surprised that, 
at the matchup, frankly. Yeah. And I, yeah. do you think it will sell out? Do you think this will end up being a big deal? And by I, the way, I, I, is Joshua going to win this fight? I think he wins, and I think it will uh, sell the the remaining tickets. But the problem with Anthony Joshua is he is so he's such a like nice guy and a gentleman, and he never talks trash. And when he tries to, he's terrible at it. So right. like your selling point is knockouts, and if you're not giving those knockouts to your fans, and you've only knocked out one guy in the last five fights, and the, you know, Usyk really embarrassed him a little bit, you know, like he put on an absolute masterpiece against him. So he needs to go in there and do what people and remind people what he was great at. And uh, but also um, it, it's pretty much he'll retire if he loses. That's what he said. So it's pretty definitive. It feels like that. And by the way, there was a rumor that I think his name is Chambers. He took on Mayweather in an exhibition out in the UK like a month ago. There's yeah. a rumor that that yeah. flopped, that nobody showed up for that and it bombed. Is that accurate? <laughs> yeah. My friend went to that fight and he said there was 2,000 tickets sold in a 20,000 arena oh. and 1,000 of those were probably giveaways. So, sure. uh, and the, you know, and the, and the other thousand were probably uh, the money team. Um, so it was humiliating for uh, Floyd to get to be going out there against a, a live opponent like don't get me wrong Chalmers is a, a reality TV star but the guy has like combat sports experience like he fought oh. MMA and Bellator I think he did Muay Thai for years and he has very fast hands so you're putting yourself in a, in a situation where alright Floyd isn't going to get hit but is that worth it? Like, you know, and I think that there was probably a behind the scenes investor who was convinced he was going to make money on this. And the, the thing with Floyd is, is how, how much longer does this carry on for? And it seems like he really intends to keep doing it. And I feel like he might just pick the wrong guy at some point. I mean, he's heading towards 50 years old and he's fighting young studs like Logan Paul, who they're not boxing at his level, but it just takes one shot, one, you know, zig where you should have zagged. And I just don't see why he's doing it, but I think the money must be necessary for his lifestyle. Yeah, no, I think that's right. I think the only thing that's more embellished than Floyd Mayweather's pay-per-view numbers is is Floyd Mayweather's net worth. And I'm fine <laughs> with that. I never thought the exhibition thing would work if he's got somebody that wants to lose some money. I mean, boxing has survived over time because you got somebody that's willing to lose some money to attach himself to the tough guy business. So, but I did hear that. I heard the same thing that you just said that there was 2000, there was 20,000 uh, seats available. Somebody took a bath and that might end the experiment at least, at least momentarily. Yeah. It, it's, it's a weird thing to, to, because when, when Floyd did the Logan Paul exhibition, I was like, okay, this makes sense. This is a real big moment. People are interested. We care, but now you're, he seems to fight anyone. He'll, he'll just get in there with any YouTube kid and you know the specialness is totally worn off now um, so yeah it is a bit embarrassing but um, I've got a question uh, about your experience with some of these great fighters because you know they call Floyd the GOAT and yeah. you're like the only guy who has shared the octagon with Fedor, Anderson Silva, John Jones and you've sparred GSP so you might be the only person who's ever you know legitimately experienced what it's like to fight all of these GOAT contenders. Who is your GOAT? I will tell you, all of those guys are awesome, by the way. Just to get sour grapes out of the side, those guys were great. But I, George, George St. Pierre had a very unique feel. It, wow. It's very hard for me to explain explain uh the strength that he had I'm, I'm blown away i was much bigger than him i'm very surprised that his opponents have not done interviews and talked about uh the uncanny strength he will hold you in positions where you just can't move and i've never been in that spot particularly with somebody that's smaller than me i mean when i went into the workout i had a full head of confidence that if i get in a jam i can just use my size when you're trying to be a good workout partner i want him to invite me back and, and, and make this something that i could do multiple times you got to not use that size you got to not use that power but i knew i could turn to it if I had to. And it, I tell you what, it wasn't there. I mean, it, it was one of these things where we're bumping him and moving him, uh, using strength, using size. It was just a feel uh, that was very unique. And then he had philosophies like the great martial artists, like say Bruce Lee, that uh, sticks around for the ages. George had philosophies. And one of his philosophies is that you only go five rounds in a workout. You get, you get warmed up and you go five, five minute rounds. And there's no point in being conditioned to do anything different. That's what championship, and that's just what his belief was. And it didn't matter if he stayed up late the night before, what, what coach had in mind, he was going to get warm. He's going to go uh, five fives. He was also extremely disciplined to detail. When we drilled together, he would not 
stop and release. So, okay, now it's my turn until everything was perfect. And he'd even go into leg locks and he'd adjust and he'd turn his heel and he'd turn his toe and he would look at it and he'd drop his elbow down. It was one of these things where generally when I uh, drilled my whole life, it was how fast can you go? It was a conditioning workout. It was this really hard pace. I go, boom, he goes. And George's wasn't like that. It was very technical. These were just a couple of things that, that I remembered, but it did make him uh, stand out. And I, I thought, you know, overall for well-roundedness, I, I think when they talk about the GOAT, they got to talk about St. Pierre. The interesting thing is that you've been very uh, honest about, like, one of the few, actually, and I give you credit for this, about your uh, PED usage. When I looked at George St. Pierre, who was in what we kind of referred to as the PED era before you saw that, and when you look at George's uh, stomach that, uh, you know, he had this tortoiseshell like stomach and a lot of his freaky strength where he would manhandle anyone and, uh, he, he was in better shape than every other fighter in the non-USADA era. I wondered if you ever questioned his, um, you know, lack of or, or usage of PEDs. Yeah, I, I always wondered that too. I, I mean, right. There was something there where, it's such a slippery slope because USADA and WADA are are so sensitive that, that if a guy was in violation of that, people automatically think that it's uh, an anabolic he, he, or something he illegal. Sorry, he retired just as USADA came in. And a lot, there's a lot of people speculating, like, you've been calling for drug testing for years. And the minute they come in, you're like, right, bye. Yes. No, no, I, I remember that time. Yeah, it, it lined up. And so it was a little bit, uh, a little bit interesting. But gosh, it's hard to say. I mean, if you see George now, he looks the exact same i mean guys that use peds are at least anabolics which is, that's all that you and i are really talking about is anabolics yeah. like whatever the ped list is fine are you using anabolics or not but guys that do that their body changes when their career changes george weighs the same thing you know he's still in the practice room yeah. he looks the same you go pat him on the back he's just as thick as he always was i mean every now and then there are just freaks of nature yoel romero is one uh first time i ever saw yoel he was 19 years old representing uh the cuban national team he looked the exact same competing at 185 pounds he was in the olympics in the year 2004 in the finals at 185 pounds the same thing he weighs today some guys just get lucky bro obviously you had a lot of those fierce rivalries that you brought out of people was there anyone who you genuinely were like i hate this guy like this is the most i've ever disliked an opponent yes definitely uh vandalay which i don't feel that way now now wow. now, now i like wow. vandalay and 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 wish him well but um yeah i, I vandalay but well, because he frightened me he was one of these guys where i didn't know if i could trust him i i knew <laughs> when the fight started this guy was vicious i mean they call him the axe murderer for good reason yeah. And he used to be over in prime. They would kick guys when they're down and stomp them in the face. I mean, he really was a very vicious style. But I didn't know if I could trust him before the referee said go. I didn't know if I could trust him on stage. I didn't know if I could trust him at press conferences. And I did an ultimate fighter with him. And we got into it two different times. One time they showed on TV, but there was also another time. And so you just kind of on edge at all times. And I, the only thing I know about fighting is the same as any other guy, which is whatever your father told you. <laughs> and my father's thing was not, you can defend yourself. If you know, if, as long as he throws the first punch, my father's thing was don't ever let them within range. If they're upset and they're within an arm's distance, the fight has now started. So go. And that was the thing with Vandalay's. I could never let him get close. Like as soon as he would get in, I, I couldn't trust him. And so that wasn't fun, quite frankly. That was kind of an uneasy way to go about a life for a while till we got that all resolved that was a great moment for tv though when you said i can't let you get close if you get close i'm gonna like hit you like that was such a great lesson for young men watching that like this is my handle. father's rule yeah that's right like you can yell at me but you can't do it with in this rent you just can't yeah was there ever an element of fear that you felt more so with any opponent oh i would imagine i mean i will tell you when i left the locker room to take on john jones um, I remember thinking to myself, like, okay, my whole life I've heard the expression, a lamb going to slaughter. This is what they're talking about. Like, I remember actually thinking that. Like, I was bouncing around. I had on this cool robe. Tap out gave me a robe, and I was walking out of a robe, and everything was going well, and I hit the face on. But I remember thinking that, oh, this is what that expression is about. Wow. And I hadn't been to 205. You know, I did real well at 185. I hadn't been to 205. And then it was John, you know, which was he's just something special. There's something long there. There's something awkward. He's got these elbows, Um, some good wrestling to go. I mean, it's just one of these things where if you go and watch, you know, five John Jones fights as a way of preparing for all you see is this guy destroying 
destroying five people. It was a very impressive highlight reel. And I thought I could beat him. I thought I could compete with him. I thought I could get him tired. I mean, I I was game for the match. But uh, yes, it was an it was an awkward feeling to know what, at least what was supposed to happen and what people thought was going to happen. Your relationship with John Jones is one of my fav- my favorite sort of fight rivalries because even though the fight wasn't as competitive as what you'd have liked it to have been, you really got under this man's skin, even to this day. And in the fact that he refused to fight you on short notice and had like almost a historic moment where UFC card was canceled, and uh, you got a lot of man points from the audience because you sh- you were like, uh, Shogun refused, and Shogun was one of the baddest people ever. Machida said, no you said yes you turned up and jones backed down to you so on some level it's one one mate <laughs> you know he didn't show up you did i did now- get a lot of credit for that yeah. i did get a lot of street uh cred for that and that was part of my code i mean like every, everybody has a code where i told you i didn't use pro- profanity but that was another one which is i'm gonna say what i'm gonna say but no matter what i will show up i will show up anytime with anyone at any way under any rule set that was a real cool thing when i was doing it now as i'm looking back you know maybe, maybe that was a, a reckless standpoint but i was proud of that i was very proud of anyone anytime anywhere and i knew a lot of guys said it but very few guys did it and that includes john John said it too until he, he got called on it and he Absolutely. said, no, I was a southpaw. But it was interesting. Like when I looked at John versus myself, I want to say he was like 23 and I was 36. I remember thinking he was clearly more advanced than I was. And But when he backed down and said, his boxing scares me, he's a southpaw, I think he had more time. Like whatever his thought pattern was, it did put a little pep in my step where I went, man, that's a real compliment. I'm, I'm being complimented here, oh, yeah. you know, even if it's by my enemy, but there, there's something here that's very sweet. And looking at it, the John Jones situation now, it's very interesting because the incident with his wife, the children asking the hotel staff to call the cops and all of that. I found it very interesting that the UFC even took him back because I know he's a huge star, but this man is a wild card at the least. And have you seen the tweets from him in the recent days about nonsensical tweets? Like that, sure. they, a lot of people are thinking, what's going on here? It's like another John Jones moment where he's clearly not doing the life that he should be doing. Yeah. Oh, no, I, I could tell. And sometimes he even blames on red wine or, or he's into deleting it. Connor, uh, disappointingly, is it is into the d- deleting the tweet, right? I think if, if you say it, <laughs> You, you got to let it live and you can bury it. You can put out more. There's, there's ways to handle that, but just deleting it the next day and not addressing it. I don't know. I'm not a big fan of that. I'll, I'll tell you this and it's just for conversation, but there was, there was a very tough moment. John Jones was with the police on the body cam and he declared that he had CTE. He declared that. And it's a very big deal because here in the States, we are overseen by the commission that works at the discretion of the attorney general who is supervised by the governor. That's the exact same thing as the, the, the police. So when the police, you have, you have an agency that John is disclosing, I have brain damage to, and he did it twice. And I only share that with you because if another state agency goes and licenses him and something goes awry and John comes out and sues and says, I told you, you had knowledge. I told the police and it's right here. They are busted. I mean, you're talking about a $20 million lawsuit. This would have been devastated. And the commission didn't even hold a hearing. The commission didn't even make John check a box or sign off. They acted as though they hadn't seen him proclaiming to a state agency that I have brain damage. It was a really big deal. It would have been a blunder. I understand that's a road we shouldn't have gone down. But that's the biggest part of that whole story is that he told an agency that he had brain damage and another state agency acted like they didn't hear it. And when you say that footage of him smashing his own head off of a police car, I mean, that's a, it's not normal behavior, you know, even for UFC fighters. Well, Um, this was right after they put him in the Hall of Fame. You know, everything was going his way and. I don't know what all what all he's into. I mean, he, he's pretty open that he he likes to party and go and have a good mm. time. But but somewhere in there, because I will tell you, in all fairness, as hard as I am on John, I will share with you. If you catch him in the middle of the day and he's sober, he he's uh he's very humorous. He's very charismatic. He can smile. He can he can dance and and, and kind of get a rise out of the crowd. He's a narcissist, but it can be endearing, uh, believe it or not. But then you know, over the course of the evening, he seems to to be a liability. He seems to be a guy that. You might not want to be around. Do you believe his denials of pad usage or not? No, I don't know why he would deny him. Mm. I mean, early on, like when I locked up with him, and, and I had a higher juice concentrate than Tropicana. <laughs> when I locked up with him in our fight, he pushed me 
straight backwards in that octagon. I mean, I mean, this was like a Mack truck versus a Volvo. And I remember as he was pushing me backwards, which no, I fought 50 men, including heavyweights. Nobody's done that to me. As I'm backing up, I thought to myself, I know your secret because I have the same one. I know what you're doing because I'm doing it too. And you apparently are doing a little bit more. It was just one of those things, you know, when his body looked a certain way. This was a guy... His biggest enemies in terms of somebody that come out and talk trash about John was his own teammates. And that just came from a jealousy standpoint. They would go to the gym every day, twice a day. They'd be on time. He would do none of those things. He'd come in a few times a week. He, he, he would show up late. He would leave early and then he'd go beat everybody up, make millions of dollars and, uh, you know, get gifted a Bentley. It was just one of those things where it was his own teammates that, that would bury him. But you would see his body. My God. I, I, I mean, he was in uh, three times more, more sculpted than I was. And I never miss practice. I've never tasted alcohol. I've, I, it's, it's one of those things where, um, you know, you can't do that. You, you just can't snap your fingers and change your body like that unless you're getting help. And I like performance enhancing myself. I know people try to give it a hard time, but performance enhancing, those are positive terms. I know people try to make it a negative and it might be against the rules and maybe athletes violated things, which is called cheating, but I'm just shit. Performance and enhance, these are positive things. And I mean, it's one of my problems with The Rock or even with, with the Hulkster. I wish they would tell people or with John Cena, it's like, come out and tell people, you guys aren't breaking the rules. You guys have discovered something that's making you better. Share that with the world. Don't hide it from them. And in terms of John Jones, uh, at heavyweight is there a person who you feel is the biggest threat to him you know what x's and o's is curtis blades curtis blades uh john's highest achievement in amateur wrestling was a junior college national championship curtis won that exact same championship and curtis is just a big guy he's a little bit younger curtis does lead the right lifestyle he doesn't like to come out and do a lot of interviews but curtis is a solid guy i mean he gets up in the morning he's very disciplined he's got coaches he works hard he can go five rounds if he needs to i don't know that i would proclaim that anybody could go with john that really is a once in a, a lifetime uh athlete um, you know, the fact that he just took three years off, changed weight classes and, and, and had surreal gone so frightened. He didn't even have to fight him. I mean, he had him so frightened psychologically. He didn't even have to go fisticuffs, man. That's an impressive thing. It, it, it truly is. I think the Francis fight would have been fun. I think John probably would have thrown him down ultimately. And I think Stipe is a hard match. I mean, I really do. Stipe is uh, 40 years old, but one thing about Stipe and people don't know this yet is Stipe. Stipe, from his last fight, which was against Francis, he weighed in at 233 pounds. He put on 20 pounds of muscle. Stipe thought he was going into a trilogy with Francis Ngannou. So he changed his whole lifestyle, much like what John Jones just did, just to put on size. And yeah. it, 20 pounds of muscle on Stipe is a very different Stipe. I'm I'm open to the idea. Yeah, I, I like, obviously, Stipe is a legend. I like him, but I, I find his uh, infrequent fighting frustrating. I think John was very right in saying, you better take some time off of the fire uh, brigade, boy, if you want to come and fight me. But for me, uh, Tom Aspinall, I know I might be sure. a bit biased with him being British, but the guy is lightning fast and has a really really good ground game, uh, really good stand-up. But you mentioned before about this um, CTE. Obviously, you've had a lot of fights. Do you ever worry about your brain health, given how like how sharp you are and how how much you are all about, like, you know, talking for a living? Yeah, Does that ever cross your mind? Yes, uh, and it didn't used to. I used to think, and, you know, it was something that somebody, somebody I looked up to, could have even been my father, said, oh, you know, that's a guy looking for an excuse, having a concussion and things like this. Then that movie came out called concussion with will smith and it was based on a true story and it impacted me at least made me start thinking in that direction that i did see several fighters a lot of boxers that were slowing down and having a hard time even the great muhammad ali just by example so you start to see man this is a real thing and the guys in the nfl and some of them were even leading to suicide and they were talking about you know the the, the pains and the depression they're having from ct so yes i mean i'm i'm, I'm very aware of it i I don't believe that I uh, that I took some of those shots, but um, I think it's a very real thing. I, I appreciate that coaches are monitoring it, that doctors now know what to look for. I mean, that went for the longest time. We didn't even know what to look for. I was in uh, college wrestling rooms, and if you uh, headbutted and you were seeing stars, as they say, you just get back in there, shake it off. And um, it's a little bit more serious than that. I, I'm glad that we have the protocols in place that are, are starting to be formed. I've heard Mike Bisping and a few other people describe what it's like to wake up after a knockout. Was there, was there any time that you remember where you lost a specific period of time where when you finally came to it was uh you know you remember that i felt as though i got hit by a missile five seconds into my fight with fedor 
I mean, this thing was a missile comes and it takes me. And I, I would have quit that fight right there. As I was falling to the canvas, I knew if this fight gets stopped, it'll be the fastest knockout ever. And I start, I'm windmilling my leg. I just am trying to get a couple of seconds, you know, so it's not, <laughs> not, the, not the record setting. But I felt as though after that fight, I felt as though for a couple of months, that uh that something was amiss my my memory wasn't quite there or maybe i'd be speaking and and i was having a hard time finding the word i've actually wondered because i've never known is this real or is this in my mind have i have i created that this is happening as an excuse from the punch i, I really don't know but that is the one if i could take any shot back i've ever taken it'd be that missile fedor gave me yeah i mean th there's a reason he's in the goat conversation the man hits bloody hard and going uh to one of the other go-to you fought anderson silva um i always wondered um after you beat the living hell out of him for all those rounds and and obviously didn't come away with the win you get back into say the locker room what what are you feeling like in that moment because you did so well. This was at a point where we'd never seen even a, a a little bit of Anderson Silva not looking like a dominant fighter. You called it all beforehand. We didn't really believe you if we're being like, you know, and then you went and did it and beat the living hell out of him. What, what was the emotions like after that? It was devastating. Oh, my goodness. It was so devastating. I mean, my whole life, you know, I, I want to be world champion. Uh, poor me that I didn't get it. But th this was as close as... I'm gonna get right. I had the, the the incident with Paulo Filo where we got the the weight scale issue, and then uh, you know found a way to let this one go. I had never been uh, that exhausted as a human being before. I tried to get there in practice. I tried my whole life to get there in practice, but but I had never gotten to that point. And I didn't know what round it was. My my corner before the fifth round told me it was the fourth round. And I believe them. And I think that's a really weird excuse for a guy to go, I didn't know what round it was, but, but I didn't know. I mean, I was that level of exhausted. I was also very fearful of Anderson. I, I had a real urgency to get him down. I, I respected to the point of fear his stand-up. So that, but that urgency made me sharp that night. It made, mm. it made me quicker. It made my pressure better. It made my timing and my range. There's one thing that I lost for the, the rematch. The first fight went so well that in the rematch, I, I didn't have that same, uh, fear and urgency, but, um, yeah, it was just a devastating thing. And I was kind of getting it explained to me right when I got out of the ring. One of the first people I saw was Joe Silva and he, he came around and he shook my hand and I said, sorry, because Joe's big thing was just entertainment. Were you excited? And I just said, sorry, I couldn't, you know, I just couldn't get going tonight. And I went to the back and they, this guy brought me the, the, of the night bonus check. He says, Hey, Lorenzo and Dana want you to have this. And I, and I took it and I opened it and saw it was the fight of the night. And I thought, okay, those guys feel bad for me. They're giving that to me because they feel bad for me. I was not aware. I was just not aware that it was a good fight or that people liked it. Um, they ended up having a stat that I it was 311 punches for me to eight punches uh, by him. But I didn't know that. I felt like, you know, we were out there tit for tat and we were trading. I, I just it got to a level of exhaustion where I was very unaware. And when people ended up liking the fight, I was at least nominated for fight of the year. It might have even won it. I had no idea it was a good fight i really when i told joe sorry i meant it yeah it's 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 a weird sort of uh thing to have on your record you maybe have the most dominant defeat in the history of ufc title fights i mean like you were so dominant for so long as well it wasn't like it was a you know it was such an, a long amount of time where we watched you swinging the hammer as you called it and um you know what i wish you'd have won that mate i really do because you deserved that that you literally took everything uh but that's why he was such a great fighter to be fair to the guy i appreciate that very yeah. much and yeah i agree anderson still was a great competitor yeah. right he was always known for his skills and for his techniques and for his setups but that's a competitor man you got to have a heart you mm. you've got to want it and have that burning desire to be able to hang in there let alone come back let alone find a way mm. and yes he he i don't know he got enough credit like when that fight was done a lot of the talk was uh you know the rounds that i had won but there's another side to it which is he hung in there and he found a way with a minute left to, to keep his belt and, and keep his legacy and I, I really respect it in him. One of the things I've heard you speak about a little bit before was was that um, the real, obviously you talk about your dad quite a lot in conversation and how much he meant to you and I think it's it's lovely that you still keep him alive in the way you do um, and obviously you had that moment where you made that promise to him um, for those that don't know about becoming a world champion do you think that you maybe put too much pressure on yourself through through what, it, what, it, what you built it up into 
from loving your dad so much and all of that? Possibly, possibly, um, and po- and possibly stayed in there a little bit longer, uh, you know, as well. You know, look, looking back, staying in there till you're 42 years old. I think that I think that's probably on a, a, a little bit further. You know, the fighter's kind of the last one to know when yeah. the, the sun has set. The the whole world sees it at least a year before the athlete does, and I was I was definitely guilty of that. I was selling myself on some of the ideas of I'm training, uh, I'm training smarter, not harder. <laughs> like as my body was wearing down, and I I couldn't I couldn't put the work in that uh, Coach Clayton Hires needed. I sold myself, but yeah, but I'm but this is smarter. I'm doing better. I'm actually going to get further. Everybody has to do that at some point, right? I mean, most of our careers doing the same, which is, is face down and embarrassed. Uh, Lennox Lewis or St. Pierre, I guess you, you'd have to put Khabib in there. Um, it, very rare, very rare, a Mayweather style career. So yeah, on some hands, I, I think there was some, some pressure that, that, that was maybe, maybe undue. Maybe I, I, I misunderstood that, uh, you know, now that I am a father, I want my young man to do that, you know, through his years of education, uh, whatever his sport is, whatever it is he wants to do. But I, I would keep him active, keep him busy, send him home tired. I, I don't want him out, you know, roaming around with his friends. Nothing good happens with a young man in free time. So I would like to just take take my son's time away, uh, teach him a skill and have him go home tired. I think that's really what my dad was after. But uh, we parted ways before he explained that to me. <laughs> For some reason, you didn't actually do the retirement in the cage. Was there a reason for that? Because I, w- I would have thought that the Chael son and retirement speech would have been the one to end all speeches. Well, I appreciate that. You know, I, I didn't know. And, and, and quite frankly, even, even when you retire, it's you, you make it look as though, okay, this is my idea and this is my decision. But there's always more that goes into it. At, at that time, I was with Bellator. Did Scott Coker want me back? If he did want me back, did he want me in the same position, or was I going to start sliding down the card, which is which is kind of the hint, you know, here's your hat, what's your hurry? And so you have you have a few of those things. You got to go out, you got to collect your thoughts, talk to your family, see who's available, see what it looks like the next match is likely to be, and uh, you know, if you don't have more more checks in the positive column, sometimes you come in and act like this was the time and I was going to do it all along. But like everything, it's just part of the act. If you for for whatever reason you were feeling amazing and you could come back and fight one you know fighter would there be a, a guy who would would be a, tempt you out Tito Ortiz <laughs> Tito it. Ortiz you don't want to be the guy that lost to Tito and he <laughs> rubbed my face in it so bad and I, I mean it really was he he it was brutal things that people never saw Th- things where I came up to a man to man I'd known him for 20 years I competed with him in college uh, and we had our moment and he just smeared my face in it and I just remember going what a jerk you know I'm standing there I stood there and, and took it but but inside I thought Tito do you know what this is like in my shoes you won I lost I gotta go to the same press conference because it's procedure I'm gonna I'm gonna go and I'm gonna put you over all I want to do is get in my hotel room and scream you know and he he's giving me the business in, in in the back and I I just it was one of those things that if I if I could get a match with Tito I would take it yeah it, it was a strange one to watch that I I felt he got Tito had this little thing about him where he could get lucky. Uh, uh, like, I remember him having this fight where everyone was like, he is finished, he is done. Was it Ryan Bader in the UFC where he pulled yep. out a submission out of nowhere? Yep. He was a bit more slick on the map than people gave him credit for. And he, he would win a couple of fights like yourself and Ryan Bader where you were like, how did Tito do that? But, you know, he probably was better than what we we, we gave him credit for. But yeah, I, I think you were very unfortunate because I fully expected you to steamroll him there no i appreciate i can see that position i could have let go i could have spun behind him i mean just the x's and o's uh play through in my head and yeah tito was a good competitor you know he was a rough guy he's a real physical guy i don't know that he did other sports growing up no he got into wrestling real early and was kind of from uh, a tough neighborhood with street life he respected his career enough to stick a needle in his ass every now and then so <laughs> he was you know he was pretty strong you get in certain positions before you could wear him down and 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 they were some some real threats but uh yeah, that was a tough one to lose to, man. Tito, uh, Tito uh, definitely enjoys winning, and that was his moment. But you know, the, the winner's got to be a, a little bit polite to the loser, at least a little bit. Yeah, I don't think Tito had the like. I don't think he could quite let it go. The things that you said that got under his skin, you must have really got under his skin. Sure. And to be fair to Tito, what I will say is, when I discovered the UFC, his era with Chuck and Randy was was what was really blowing MMA up. And it is a bit weird now when I look back at the uh, UFC. And, I mean, Chuck's still in and around it, 
But to see Tito and Randy, who were so instrumental in blowing the UFC up, basically removed from history. Um, what do you make of that? Yeah, that's tough. That's tough. And, you know, and I'll throw another one in there is uh, Frank Shamrock. You mm. know, Frank Shamrock, there wasn't very many times when we truly knew who the best in the world was. We knew who the world champion was. But to actually know, okay, that guy, he's proven it. He's gone through everybody. I don't have any suggestions. That's the guy. We've only had that a few times. I would bring Bandelay from uh, his pride days. Mm-hmm. I would um, definitely bring... Uh, Chuck Liddell, and I would definitely bring Randy in. And for a period of time, it was Tito. Tito knew how to get people down. He knew how to go five rounds. He knew how to put you in the fence. He understood the elbows with positioning so he wasn't caught in arm bars. I mean, I think th- those guys should be remembered for what they were. And the same goes with with Frank Shamrock. And Frank did it just to remind you when it was 205 pounds. They did not have a 185. They did not have a 170. They just had 205 in heavyweight. The most he ever weighed in at was 193. And he had his clothes on when he did that, but he weighed 193. That's his official uh, weight. I remember because he wore a Stanford wrestling shirt, but I actually talked to Frank. I, I saw him at Fedor's retirement fight. We were in the cage next to each other. I've never really visited with him. And I said, by the way, just wanted to tell you, you did a really great job, and you you were a true champion, and you did it giving up all that weight. And he told me that he most he's ever weighed in his life was 178. Frank Shamrock is is one of those guys that we need to take a second look at. I want to talk to you about some of these funny beefs that I see you having on Twitter because the way you mock John Cena, for example, is absolutely hilarious. Is you 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 seem to have a few. There's Anthony Joshua who gets it, Fifty Cent, John Cena. Is there a reason why these these people get on your nerves and you just want to like take the piss out of them? Jealousy. It's it's pure <laughs> jealousy. I can't stand it. Look at Anthony Joshua's world. Champ- Plus, he gets to be handsome. Yeah. Look, he's like 6'3", and he he gets to be handsome on top of everything else. He got to go to the Olympic Games. He gets to be a national hero. John Cena drives me crazy because, well, John's another one of these guys that denies anabolic use, and I don't know why. He's not cheating. He's not breaking any rule. He's not buying it illegally. He's getting it from his prescription from a doctor. It's something that could help people, and I, so that just frustrates me. And secondly, he's not even on... Twitter, he, like this is clearly an assistant that that is putting out these messages that are taken from a book. They're they're not is he doesn't engage. They're not back and forth. And he's got like he's got like fifteen times more followers than I do. So yes, it is pure jealousy. I love it, and I rate the honesty. Um, one one fighter you had a, a beef with uh, not long ago, which we, uh, I really enjoyed the back and forth with with you and Connor. And it kind of felt like it was more Connor having a problem with you pointing things out and, you know, mm-hmm. him having a sensitive ego. I remember you being on stage with Bisping and Connor when Connor was just starting to sprout and now he's coming at you. What, what was that whole situation like? I did not like it. I, I did not. I did not like that Connor did that in public. And, and we've got our own <laughs> private relationship and, and he could have done. He's never come at me like that in public. I looked at Connor like like little brother. I, I've had to correct the story. I've had to come in and clean up many messes that he's done. But I thought he viewed me the same way. I thought he and when and so when he did that, I go, oh, oh, I'm a fool. He doesn't uh, view me the way that I view him or that I, I I thought he looked at me. You know, then I felt a little bit foolish. But I let him know. I mean, I told him straight. This this is my last warning. If we're gonna do this, we're gonna do. But you can stop right now. Stop right now. We'll call the whole thing off. And he stopped. He stopped. So I mean, I I, I continued on the path of. Uh, you know, trying to explain Connor. I feel like he's a little bit misunderstood. I thought it was a great entertainer. You know, the, the last Connor we saw, he's broken in half. He's on the canvas doing an interview with Joe Rogan, and he's talking about the opponent and the opponent's wife. <laughs> and so many people said, well, you know, how disrespectful, what a jerk. And it's like, yes, quite possibly. Or you have an entertainer that is so committed, he is going down with the ship till the final note is played. And, you know, it's it's one of those two but I, I'm not certain that we know. You know, I feel like you really get your money's worth with Connor. I feel like he he entertains and adds a value that nobody else does in ways that nobody else does. I agree. I'm much, I was a huge Connor McGregor fan, and I've definitely gone off him as the years have gone on. Just the thing is, is like it's the lack of consistency. Like it's a little bit like Tyson Fury as well. Like you have to tell 
a consistent story to be believable for us to invest in what you're saying. And it flip-flops with him, and he, he says one thing and does another. And I'm very surprised that he is coming back after breaking his leg in such a bad way. Um, and to take on Michael Chandler... I, you know, for all I, I don't like him as much as I used to, the guy's got balls because that is a rough fight to come back after a leg break like that when Michael Chandler's been out here looking fantastic, even if he hasn't been winning all the time. He's he's top five, probably. What do you make oh, of that as a matchup for the first fight back? Well, I'll tell you what, so, something here isn't passing the smell test. I mean, if I were just to back up on the timeline, so all of a sudden Connor's back, he's going to take on Chandler. Great, why? Why are these two fighting? Moreover, when are they fighting? Where are they fighting? At what weight class are they fighting? So we're told these 255 pounders are going to fight at 170. Now, that was weird because now it's not for contendership. We know it's not for championship, but now it's not for contendership or even for rankings. So why are we doing this? Just as a pure cash grab? Okay, but that's not generally the way that it's done. So then they come out and they correct the statement. And they said, no, 155 pounds is where the weight class is. So they go to Michael Chandler, and Chandler says 155. They then go to Connor, and Connor says, no, it's at 170. <laughs> so we don't even have a weight class agreed yeah. upon. I think that's weird. Secondly, Connor's boots on the ground, and he put out a tweet that he's going, I mean, if, I, if I'm to take him literal, and I do, that he's set it up camp at Big Bear. He's just starting to everybody's come in. He's rented out Big Bear. Well, camp is something that Connor traditionally does eight to ten weeks before a fight. And he's not in the USADA pool. USADA has spoke up and said from the day he enters, he must give us six months, which is 180 days. Connor's come out and disputed that. But, I mean, between the two, the agency themselves or the athlete, we, we, we have to think that it's the agency. And Connor still hasn't enlisted in the pool. He hasn't started that clock. And that's a very precarious thing. I, I, I mean, first off, are we getting ready to see a feud be between Connor and USADA? If so, sign me up. I, but, but I want to know. Secondly... The athletic commission has the right to come in and test him if they're in his state. They're in his state. He is boots on the ground in Nevada filming the ultimate fighter. They could walk right up to him now. And I only say that because so many people are speculating the reason he's put off getting in the pool is he's still hot. He did something to, to, to heal his knee and it's still in his system. Okay. That would be a great reason to not go in the pool. I will just remind you, USADA is not the end all be all. You still have the state commission and he's boots on the ground and they've elected to not going and test that's fugazi this whole thing is very odd and supposedly he's going to fight chandler where are they going to fight at what weight are they going to fight at who else is on the card when are we doing it when's the on sale where's the announcement where's the poster something about this is not right interestingly when dana white was questioned on it he said i don't get involved in all of that anymore and i'm like it's the first time i've ever heard you say that so if anyone is going to get special treatment it probably is conor mcgregor but yeah it, it does seem very strange have you ever had a fight where after turning pro where a guy didn't know you were a fighter and he found out the hard way oh like like in the streets yes yes i have um i'm not a puncher to to begin with um you know i my, i'm always gonna grab you it's always gonna be but but yes i, I i've had a couple of those where, where nothing happened he didn't find mm. out the hard way he, but other people came around like and set him straight you know, pulled him back or whatever the separation was and then tell him. And then he would come over and apologize and, you know, say things like, oh, man, that would have been really bad for me. I didn't know. And I just had something like that happen. I was at the NCAA uh, wrestling tournament. I, I had this weird thing like that. But it was the same situation. I mean, nobody touched each other, but people came around. They told him, man, step back. You, you, you got this one wrong. <laughs> yeah, wow. someone did him a favor that day. Um, and, and you mentioned uh, earlier about uh, your philosophy as a father. You come across as like Uncle Chael, you know, to a lot of people. And even as your subscribers, we watch you and you drop a lot of life advice. And I think that that's great that you do that because, you know, we're in a society right now where there's a lot of fatherless sons out there, you know. Right. And I just wondered what what is your sort of broad philosophy in terms of being a dad to your kids? in terms of discipline and, and, and how you're trying to guide them through life. Well, I'll tell you, I'm still there. I got my little maniac right over here sleeping in a chair. Uh, we're going to get some ice cream after this, but I'm still learning. I mean, there isn't a manual on that, but I, I do believe that there is something very important in, in uh, supporting the kid in, in terms of let's try some different things, whatever it might be. And it doesn't even have to be athletic related, but let's find some things Let's see what you like. And then I'm basically the chauffeur, right? I'll, I'll pay the dues, whatever they are. I got to write the check and then I got to get him there. I got to get him home, but we got to do it every day. 
And I, I just think there's a real importance, uh, particularly with a young man. I have a daughter as well, but a, a young man in free time, that, that just never works out. I know a lot of really good people, males, between the ages of 18 and 25, really good people, but between the ages of 18 and 25, they made one bad decision. One bad decision, one given to peer pressure, one they were up too late and they, they just made a decision and it changed their lives. You know, some of them are in prison, some of them hurt or injured, death, things like this. So, yeah, you know, I, I really like the idea of, of sending the kid somewhere uh, where he uses a lot of energy. He learns a skill and he comes home tired. I think that that's important, but I think it's something you've got to do it every single day. My, I will I will always know where my kids are, I'll tell you that. Have you ever had a conversation with your little boy about fighting, about, you know, if a kid starts a fight in school, how to handle that, that sort of thing? Yeah, a little, yes, yes, we, we definitely have. Um, he's at a younger age, and you know, Brian, it's a different system now. You know, they got this anti-bullying, I mean, these kids are really nice to each other they don't they don't even use uh you know bad words they don't call each other jerks and nerds and i mean little simple stuff like this so we've had those and he's had a couple of formal boxing classes and the coaches are real good at explaining uh you don't do this you you, you have the confidence to know you don't need to do this and, and you don't do this you can really hurt somebody mm -hmm. so we've had those talks but they, they weren't from like a bravado of you go out there and you take it to him it was nothing like that it was it was it was keep your eyes on him Keep your distance and find a way out of there. One thing that really surprised me, obviously, you, you've always been the most stand-up guy, and we've seen a lot of UFC fighters had legal issues, but we've never seen you in any situation where you know you've looked in any other way other than a gentleman. And yet, there was the footage that came out of you, obviously being uh, escorted out by police security, hands behind your back, looked like it had a ripped shirt, and it was a very strange thing. As a fan of you, I'm like, this can't be right. There's some there's something uh, up here. And um, from what I understand, you're in a situation where criminal charges have been dismissed. Is that correct? There are some that are dismissed, but there are some that are, are still withstanding. There was six or there was eight people mm. involved in this, which I got to tell you, I don't really like the score of that. I mean, not for nothing. They're drinking. I'm not. I got a shirt ripped off. My face is bloody. And there's six of you. I okay. don't really understand why I'm the one why I'm the one being taken away. And my own lawyer said, you're, you're never going to have, whether it's the, the, the DA, the police, or a jury, no one's going to feel bad for a prize fighter who gets in a fight with non-prize fighters. I said, even if there's six of them, really, yeah. they're all fine. I don't throw any punches. Meanwhile, I'm, my face is bleeding. Yeah, you're the one, you're the one that's going to have the problem here. And, you know, it was just, it was one of those tough spots. I got to tell you, it is still ongoing, but I, I want to show respect to your question since you did ask it. But it, it was a very frustrating position because they asked me, have you taken anything? And I've never drank. I've never tasted alcohol. Took an Ambien. I was in my room. I was going to sleep. I thought that was an honor. I thought I would get credit for that. Hey, what an honest guy. There's no test for Ambien. You either admit that you took, or I said I took an Ambien. They tried to use that against me. Oh, he, he didn't know where he was. He was on Ambien. <sighs> No, it's what are you what are you talking about? I answered a question honestly. There's six of you. I'm bleeding. You're fine. And believe me, you wouldn't be if I started throwing. But it was just a really weird thing. And then they started having fun, Brian. I got to tell you, the people that were involved in this started having fun. They tried to hold a press conference. I mean, oh how embarrassing! God. They flew in to hold a press conference. They show up in special outfits. Nobody shows up, so it gets canceled. I got written by TMZ that told me we have never been contacted by somebody as often as we're contacted by these people. Like they're just having fun, and it's a it's a it's a highly odd spot for me to be in. I I don't feel as though this is a hard one for me to prove that I didn't beat you up. You aren't beat up. And I'm really good at beating people up. Well, I mean, but that, that kind of solves the problem. Like, you don't really get to say Chael, Chael yeah. came out and he teed off on me. You're fine. Yeah. And that is not a likely result. Like, I wasn't as good at this as Fedor and John Jones, but I was pretty damn good. <laughs> I can handle... I can handle some people in a hallway with no training. It was yeah. just a really weird thing. Everything you're saying makes a lot of sense now, Chael, because obviously we know you're a stand-up guy. Like, if you are going to have issues as an MMA fighter, it's going to be consistent, as we've seen with the John Jones, you know. And it is a shame because your career should not be used against you, you know. It, it, the fact that you happen to be a fighter shouldn't automatically make people think you're some barbarian. Like, there are a lot of 
of very smart intellectual fires, you know. So, um, you know, fingers crossed that this all is resolved for you uh, and you can uh, go back to being the bad guy uh, because you are a good guy, ironically. But uh, one last question. How would you like to be remembered? How would I like to be remembered? I was... I was very proud of the code. I, I mean, I, I had my own code and I fiercely adhered to the code, but um, it was anyone, anywhere, anytime, any weight class. When I got into the sport, I, I had my my fifth fight. During For my fifth fight is the first time I ever saw a scale. They had never put us, I had never had a weigh-in, even a mock weigh-in where everybody's going heavyweight. Just, I, we never even got on a scale until my fifth fight. Uh, you, we wrapped our own hands if you were going to wrap your hands. You brought your own gloves. You, you agreed on the rules at the at the fighter meeting. So some fights wouldn't have the same rules. Like two guys go, well, I don't want to do this. And then another way, it was just honor code. The referee couldn't remember what it was. I mean, I, I only bring to you, when I stayed in the sport, and my first fight in 1997, when I stayed in the sport and the commissions were formed in 2001, 2002, the sport is in a lot better place, but I didn't know anything about that. I didn't know anything about fighting guys your size or fighting guy, you know, in a green on, on, it was, it was anybody. It was any, anyone at any time. And, and, and I kept that code and I was proud of that code. And, and I know that I, uh, I broke some eggs on my way to, to, to making some omelets, but I stepped in there every time I agreed to. I never pulled out. And if I had to answer for something, I answered for it the hard way. Well, your resume proves that it, that is definitely the case, Chael. You fought a who's who. When I look through your record, it, it, it is that it's that good. It, there isn't. You could argue you've got as good a resume as anyone in fighting. So you know, be proud of that, mate. And uh, honestly, it's truly an honour to have you on the show. I've looked up to you for years, and uh, thanks for entertaining us. And keep up the great work, mate. By the way, I got to tell you, young man, I am very proud of you. I have followed you. I watched you start this thing with, with a microphone. And an idea now you've got over a million you're one of the biggest shows out there truly uh great job you you, you did it the hard way you, you build up a reputation for yourself you got people that trust you they come to you i'm proud of you man that means a lot chael thanks so much and if you ever need anything uh it, well, if, if you're ever in london then you got my number bro kaboom all right take it easy man